brilliant scholars, and welcome to Storytime with Avant-Garde Books. I'm Cherie Hardy, and I hope that you are well. Today, I'm going to be reading a new chapter of Hurricanes Weathering the Storm. I've already read chapters one and two, and today I'm going to read two more chapters. This book was written by Benjamin Hojem, and it was illustrated by Stephen Marchese. Well, if you have a copy, you know what to do. Just follow along and read with me. But if you don't, it's quite okay. Get in a very comfortable place and just get relaxed and listen to Hurricanes Weathering the Storm. Chapter 3. Where and When Hurricanes Strike Hurricanes can happen in many parts of the world, but they can only form over an ocean. These big storms are called hurricanes, when they are in the northern part of the Atlantic Ocean or the northeastern part of the Pacific Ocean, the two oceans on either side of the United States. In other places, they are called typhoons or cyclones. Some people believe typhoon comes from the Chinese words typhoon, which means great wind. Typhoons occur in the northwestern part of the Pacific Ocean. In the southern half of the world, these storms are called cyclones. Cyclones are pulled toward the South Pole, and hurricanes are pulled toward the North Pole. Cyclones will never move north to become hurricanes, and hurricanes will never move south to become cyclones. Cyclones, hurricanes, and typhoons are really all the same of sto- kind of storm, just in different parts of the world. The scientific name for these storms, regardless of where they are in the world, is tropical cyclones. Hurricanes are tropical because they are born in the tropics. Hurricanes need lots of warm water to form, and the tropics are the warmest place on Earth. The tropics are located near the equator, the imaginary line that circles the globe and is equally distant from the North and South Poles. Because they are near the equator, the tropics receive direct sunlight during the summer months. Hurricanes are cyclones because they spin or cycle around a point in the center of the storm. In the northern hemisphere, the half of the earth, which is north of the equator, hurricanes swirl in a counterclockwise direction. In the southern hemisphere, they swirl the opposite way. This is called Coriolis, the Coriolis effect, and is caused by the Earth's rotation. On the equator, there is no Coriolis effect. Even though the water temperatures are hot near the equator, a storm usually needs to be at least 300 miles north or south of the equator to become a hurricane. In order for a tropical cyclone to form, the ocean temperature must be at least 81 degrees Fahrenheit. This is why hurricanes usually form only during the late summer and early fall. At other times, the water is too cold. The official hurricane season for the United States is June 1st to November 30th. Its peak is August through October. Most hurricanes that hit the United States come from the Atlantic Ocean. It's very rare for a hurricane to hit the states on the Pacific coast because the water in that part of the Pacific Ocean is usually cooler than 81 degrees Fahrenheit. The last hurricane to hit the United States from the Pacific Ocean 
was over 150 years ago. It hit San Diego, California on October 2, 1858. At that time, California had only been a state for eight years. That storm is still the only hurricane to hit California in its entire history. Chapter 4. How to Predict the Weather On average, six hurricanes develop over the Atlantic Ocean every summer. Not all of these hurricanes will hit populated areas, but scientists monitor them just in case. One of the many tools scientists use to monitor a hurricane is a barometer. The barometer was invented in, 18, in 1643, and it was the very first instrument that could be used to predict the weather. Meteorologists use barometers to measure the pressure in the air. If the barometer shows that the air pressure is falling, it means that a storm is approaching. Just like other storms, the air pressure falls before a hurricane arrives. Scientists can use barometers to predict the path of a hurricane by looking for the places where the air pressure is falling the most. Wherever the air pressure is the lowest, that is where the hurricane will go next. Unfortunately, the air pressure only drops right in front of the approaching storm. Because of this, barometers can only tell that a storm is approaching roughly six hours before it makes landfall. Chapter 5 The Mighty Hurricane Hunters In order to find out how powerful a hurricane is, meteorologists need to be able to measure the pressure pressure in its center. The inside of a hurricane is a very dangerous place to be, but in the 1940s, meteorologists found a way to safely get inside the storm. In 1943, an airplane was flown intentionally into a hurricane for the first time. That year, which was in the middle of World War II, British pilots were being trained near Bryan, Texas, when a hurricane was spotted off the coast. Many of the American pilots were afraid to fly their AT-6 airplanes with the storm approaching. This made the British pilots say the airplanes must be poorly built. To prove they were safe, American Colonel Joe Duckworth successfully flew his AT-6 into the center of the hurricane twice. After the war, because they knew it was safe, the United States Air Force began flying missions into hurricanes in order to study them. This is something that still goes on today. The pilots who fly these missions are called hurricane hunters. They are members of the Air Force Reserve and always fly the Lockheed Martin WC-130J. Hurricane hunters fly directly through the center of a hurricane to measure its strongest winds and the pressure at the center of the storm. Their missions usually take around 11 hours to complete. In a major hurricane, it's dangerous for the hurricane hunters to fly into the hurricane anywhere under 10,000 feet above sea level because the wind is strongest near the ocean. Instead, they fly into the hurricane center at a safe height and drop an instrument called a drop sonde that measures the wind speed and air pressure at different heights as it falls. The drop sonde looks like a tube with a parachute on it. It sends its measurements back to the airplane using radio waves. In 1998, the first plane flown without a pilot was called an aeroson, was used to measure the hurricane's winds off the coast of Australia. 
An aeroson can fly through a hurricane at 1,000 feet, so it doesn't need dropsons to take measurements. Someday, these remote-controlled planes might replace the hurricane hunters. The airplane isn't the only important tool for studying hurricanes. Before a plane can be sent to take measurements in a hurricane, the hurricanes need to be located. Radar allows the meteorologist to see hurricanes or storms that may become hurricanes anywhere in the world. During World War II, radar was, the, was first used to locate airplanes in the sky. Radar finds objects by sending out radio waves in all directions. Some of these radio waves hit objects and bounce back to the radar station. It was soon discovered that radar could detect rain in the sky. In the late 1950s, the National Weather Service began using radar to detect hurricanes off the coast of the United States. Now radar is so sensitive that it can be used, can use radio waves to detect and estimate the amounts of rain or wind inside a storm. Weather satellites are also used to track hurricanes. In 1959, the first weather satellite, the Vanguard 2, was sent into space to track storms. Weather satellites use infrared radiation to see developing weather. These technologies, which allow us to find and take measurements of the conditions inside and around hurricanes, have taught us how and why hurricanes happen. All right, boys and girls, I'm going to stop here. I'm at the end of chapter five. Listen to the next episode for chapter six, boys and girls. Have a beautiful day.